0: No labels, no judgments, no saying you'll never drink again, just real proven methods to help you stop rebelling against yourself with alcohol so you can drink less and do more. I'm your host, Angela Macenic. Let's dig in. Sugar. Like- Welcome to episode 153, Grief During the Holidays with expert on grief, Krista St. Germain. Hello, friends. I'm so excited for this week's episode. I brought in Krista St. Germain, who's a master certified life coach, a grief expert, and a widow, also a mom, to talk to us about grief during the holidays. So many of my clients are having their first holidays right now after losing parents, children, spouses, and it's super painful for them. And I wanted to Talk to the expert of somebody who's been through it and who now helps other people get through grief in the most healthiest way possible. So please welcome Krista St. Germain. Again, she's a master certified life coach, a grief expert, widow mom and host of the Widowed Mom podcast, which you all should go check out on iTunes and all of the players. When her husband was killed by a drunk driver in 2016, Krista's life was completely flipped upside down. And while it would have been easy to believe her best days were behind her, thankfully, Krista discovered life coaching and post-traumatic growth and was able to move forward and create a future she could get excited about. Now she coaches and teaches other widows so they can love their life again, too. Welcome, Krista. Welcome to the podcast, Krista. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for thinking of me.
0: Yes. So the reason why it came up is because literally yesterday three people came on in my group to get coached on grief of children have been lost, siblings and parents. And, you know, I I have my process right. We were trained in the same organization and of allowing feelings and processing and not judging your feelings and things like that. But I just felt like I wanted to bring in somebody with a little bit more practice with this and personal experience around grief. And so I thought of you and thank you for being so available.
1: Well, it was my pleasure. I was happy to hear from you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Who would have ever thought that I'd be like, yay, let's talk about grief, but right. I know it's like,
0: should I say this is I'm excited to have you, but I am, I'm super excited to have you. So everybody, Krista was actually one of my trainers. And when I got certified as a life coach, it's wild.
1: So fun to see. see where I, we are now. Yeah, I don't think of you. I mean, yes, I know that I was one of your instructors, but yeah, it doesn't feel like that to me. Yeah. It doesn't feel like that. You feel like a peer in that way, so. Well, that's fun. Fun, though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So can you share with them, uh, you know, maybe your abbreviated story or, you know, how you found this work and a little bit about why you do what you do?
1: Yeah. So uh, in 2016, I was coming home on a trip with my husband and we had driven separately and I had a flat tire pulled over to the side of the road. He pulled over behind me and he insisted stubborn man that he was on changing that tire. Even though we had AAA. he wanted to change a tire. We'll get home faster. I just want to get home. So he went to get the spare tire out of my trunk and we were standing on the side of the highway, right? Interstate speeds. And while I was texting my then 12 year old daughter to tell her that we were going to be late, a man driving um, who knows how fast did not brake, did not apparently see us and slammed into the back of Hugo's Durango and trapped him between his car and my car. Mm-hmm. And we later found out that the driver had both meth and alcohol in his system. Um, but, you know, within 24 hours he was gone. Right. Mm-hmm. And so my whole life was just completely upended and everything that I thought I had in front of me, you know, really just kind of, changed within that 24 hour period. So I had a brilliant therapist actually in my back pocket from years before. And I went immediately to her. That was really helpful to me in terms of getting back to that kind of functioning place Mm -hmm. and past the early acute grief. Mm -hmm. But then I kind of got stuck in this, what I would, I now call a grief plateau Mm -hmm. where I was okay. I was functioning, right? I was back to work. Um, Everybody was telling me how strong I was and I was doing great but I didn't feel so great, right? I felt Mm -hmm. kind of hollow and empty and robotic. Mm. And the thing I was worried about that I wasn't really talking about was, you know, I think my best days are behind me. I think Mm. that, that amazing life that I had, it's it's probably not possible again for me in the future. And it was just kind of at that point where I was trying to figure that out, that, I found a life coaching program yeah. right same one you found um i had been following Brooke castillo's podcast but but never really had had a life coach and I, so i enrolled fast forward about five or six months crazy powerful experience for me you know it offered me I like tools. I like concrete, Mm -hmm. tangible things, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what coaching gave me. And it was just so powerful that I decided, okay, this is what I want to do for a living. Right. I didn't really know at that point that I wanted to help people with grief. I was actually too fresh for Mm -hmm. me at that point. Mm -hmm. So it took me getting certified and doing a lot more of my own work and getting coached more to decide that grief really is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And so for the last Whatever years it feels like a blur. Um, that's what I do now is I coach widowed moms specifically. So I'm really interested in post traumatic growth. I'm really interested in taking a loss and using it as leverage to make life better, well, right? Not yeah. just getting back to the the old normal or the new normal or back to where you were before, but but really using your all of your life experience, even the you know the icky stuff, mm-hmm. as fodder for current satisfaction, future satisfaction. Yeah. So that's what I do. Well, thank
0: you for sharing that. And of course, I am you know, I've told you this before, but I'm so sorry about Hugo and all of that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, and and so am I. And Mm -hmm. I'm also so grateful. Right. Right. And I think that's one of the things that I used to misunderstand about grief and growth is that I kind of thought there wasn't going to be room For negative emotion, Mm. that if I really wanted, you know, to be happy again, that I would have to just be happy again. Mm. Um, And that's one of the most powerful things that I think I have learned is that there's room for all of it, right? There's room for me to feel sad and miss him Mm -hmm. and love my life and they can coexist. Yes.
0: So can you define post-traumatic growth for maybe people who don't know what that means?
1: Yeah. Right. I remember the first time I heard it, it was like, the record just kind of (laughs) scratched. I was like, wait, what? Post-traumatic what? Because everybody knows of post-traumatic stress, but nobody seems to be as familiar with post-traumatic growth. So it's a a term that was coined in the mid-90s by a couple of researchers, um, Tedeschi and Calhoun. And basically what they were studying is kind of this phenomenon of why were there people who, after a trauma, seemed to be more satisfied with life than before Mm. the trauma. Right. Mm. And so what they found is that because the old, the old idea was that the goal after any sort of traumatic event, which of course is completely subjective and, you know, experienced differently by the individual, but the goal after a traumatic event was just to return to that kind of baseline of wellness that the person had experienced before the trauma. Mm. And so what these two researchers noticed in their, in their studies was that some people were actually not just returning back to that baseline of wellness, but they were actually increasing their Mm. satisfaction in particular Mm. areas of life. And so it was a a kind of a mind bendy realization, right? That it, it wasn't that you could just actually love life in spite of what had happened to you. It was the idea that you could take what happened to you and get more in touch mm-hmm. with what you value mm-hmm. and what's important to you, mm-hmm. and use that information to create a life that is even more satisfying, right? Yeah, in, in various areas. Yeah, yeah. So really, just redefined what's possible mm-hmm. after loss and after trauma.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. That makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. and and I don't know that my drinking for 20 years was traumatic. I'm guessing that some of it was maybe like micro traumatic and what I thought about myself or what I did or didn't remember and things like that. But that's how I think about my own relationship with alcohol. Like it wasn't pretty and there was a lot of complications there, but now because of I had those issues and I worked through them and I'm a, like a different person on the other side of that, I couldn't be who I am now without going through all of that.
1: Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and I really encourage people to think about trauma, you know, very subjectively mm-hmm. because it does not have a textbook definition. What is traumatic for one is not traumatic for another. Sometimes people will use the phrase big T trauma or little T trauma, yeah. Yeah. right? Meaning that we can think of like a traumatic event, like losing your spouse right. as a big T trauma versus a little T trauma, mm-hmm. which, you know, might be a one instance of, you know, emotional abuse or right. something like that. But, but really it's, um, it, it's just, it's, I think we just want to take caution there and not Mm -hmm. limit ourselves to only big events that we associate as traumatic and, um, yeah, really open up our idea of what trauma is.
0: Yeah. So so what happened then? So you found life coaching, you became a certified life coach, and you started helping people just like you move through this. Mm -hmm. So what is the, like, one of my questions is, you know, I want to ask you about, like, what we can do. support of like family and friends Mm -hmm. or coaches or people in the community when somebody loses somebody and it's the holidays Mm -hmm. so like part of this was the holidays right like the holidays are so freaking complicated on so many levels add in a fresh loss to the holidays now Mm -hmm. and we have the pandemic going on like it's so much right so that's kind of what I want. Like people maybe not want to come to the holidays, or they may not even know how to respond to you with an invitation. Like, as support people in somebody's life who has lost somebody significant, what advice do you have?
1: Yeah, you're right. right there's so much going on with the holidays in general. All these mm-hmm. expectations that we have as a as a culture about how we're supposed to be and feel during the holidays. Yeah. And then, you know, if someone that, you know, has lost someone, um, they're probably putting a lot of expectations on themselves too, about how they should be feeling. So I mm. think the first thing we want to do is just be compassionate not just compassionate with the person, but compassionate with ourselves, knowing that we're probably not gonna get it all quote unquote right. Mm. You know, we are gonna maybe say things that later we wish we'd said differently. We are gonna do things that maybe we later wish we hadn't done exactly in that way. And so um, don't try to do it perfectly, just, you know, do the best job you can. So in terms of inviting someone to something, um, let it be an open invitation right? Mm -hmm. Let them know that they are welcome and their grief is welcome, right? And that they are Mm -hmm. welcome at the very last second, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a, maybe they don't want to come now, but at at the last moment, give them permission to change their mind. Maybe they do want to come now at the last moment, let them know it's okay to change their mind, right? Because what, what might feel good to them now might not feel good to them later and vice versa. Um, But I think letting them know that the totality of who they are, which will include their grief is, is welcome in whatever it is that you're doing for the holidays.
0: Yeah. Because I would imagine and just talking with my own people about this is that as somebody who's grieving, you might have a judgment against yourself that other people don't want to be around you while you're sad, right? Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: You yeah, it's uh, so isolating, right? Yeah. Because you you're And it's different for every person. So I hate to even generalize, but it is a common experience that you are so caught up about how, you know, in how you are feeling. And it seems so gloom and doom to you that you don't want to be the downer. Right. right? But you feel like, you know, in order to be authentic and honest, um, you know, if you really are experiencing a lot of negative emotion, that how can you go to, you know, a holiday event and fake it? Right. It's really hard. Right. Then, conversely, though, we're often putting a lot of expectations on ourselves to, to feel better than we actually do. Right. Mm. There's so many shoulds in grief, right? I should be grateful. It's the holidays. Oh I should, you know, be strong for my children mm. and my family. I should be grateful for the time that I had with the person, even though they're not here. Um, I should hold it together. D- depends a lot, too, on, you know, what you were taught about emotion growing up. Some people, you know, really we're never given a role model where a display of emotion was acceptable, right? right? So some people are really trying to keep it all inside and associating that with strength. Um, to, yeah, there's just so many shoulds and so much going on for people emotionally. I think the more we normalize that emotions aren't problems, the better, yes. right? When, when we stop, even if we're not going through a grief experience, but when we stop defining success as, only times when we're feeling positive emotion. Right. And when we embrace that, a true rich human experience involves all of the emotions. Right. And we make room for that in our own lives and it becomes easier to make room for, for that in other people's lives. And it's and like, sense that.
0: yeah. And and I don't know if this is even possible for somebody who's grieving, you know, and I don't, And and, and please correct me to use different language. I just don't because I'm not the expert, but like when I say somebody recently lost somebody, it could be like two years ago, right? And like this is the first time they're getting together in person or thinking about getting together in person for the holidays because last year there wasn't an option to get together because nobody was, right? And so yeah, that's a fresh, that a right? That's a fresh mm-hmm. experience and like going through that grief again in the presence of other people. Um, but what I talk to my clients about a lot is letting Those other people say you're the one with the loss and the grief and you're uncomfortable and you're, you know, you might visibly show it or you may not be smiling all the time. Whatever, however, is outwardly that you might present yourself, but also allowing those other people to have their feelings about their experience as well. Right. So like if they're uncomfortable with your grief. Right. But I don't know if that's even something that somebody with a fresh loss could even think about. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. And we we just really want to kind of throw any idea of timelines out the window too. Right. Because as much as it is comforting to be able to put people in boxes and assign timelines and Mm -hmm. linear stages to grief, it's just really not all that representative Mm of the average experience. Mm And so, um, you know, somebody might have what, you know, be only a couple of weeks out from a loss and um, really not be experiencing the amount of negative emotion one might expect them mm-hmm. to experience. Right. And then somebody else might be a couple of years out mm-hmm. to your point. And mm-hmm. it could be really, really hard. I am seeing a lot of that with COVID where it's easy to think that because the loss maybe happened pre-COVID or maybe towards the beginning of COVID that that person would be um, in a different place than they actually are. Right. But, grieving in your house and not being around the people that you love and not having those normal social gatherings. Um, Now that we're kind of coming out of that a little bit more, there's a lot of anxiety Mm. and stress happening when you haven't seen the people that you're used to seeing, you haven't celebrated the holidays in the way that you're used to celebrating them without your person. Yeah. Right. And so not to underestimate that just because somebody looks strong on the outside doesn't mean they're feeling strong on the inside at all yeah yeah
0: that's so important yeah so so the the advice for you is to support them with an open invitation let them be flexible let them change your mind verbalize that to them you know let them drive what they're doing without any you know sort of outward pressure like nobody should be pushing anybody anyway to attend a holiday event if they don't want to right (laughs) we would hope not we would hope not but that's not always the case right yeah but as somebody oh go ahead
1: i was just going to say also like talk about their person. I think people are so worried about talking about Mm. someone who has died. Mm -hmm. Um, But usually it's, it has the exact opposite impact on the griever, right? We're thinking about it. We're thinking about the person that died. And so when other people express that they're actually thinking about the person that died, that's very comforting because it's it's not like we're not thinking about it, right? We just right. feel alone in thinking about it. So I think the more you can tell stories and make, you know, that person a part of the holiday experience, the better.
0: Yeah. I love that advice. Yeah, because you're as the as the person experiencing the loss thinking about it a lot, right? And to not feel alone or not to feel so isolated in that process, to know that other people are also thinking or even grieving Uh, Maybe not the same level as you, but are, right? And holding that space for each other. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to us about buffering during this time with grief, right? Like that's huge in my arena, obviously, for stopping over drinking and the holiday time period and having such dramatic changes in their lives with loss and add COVID into it. What have you been seeing or what what advice do you give for people?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean so when 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 I'm talking about buffering, you know, it's it of course includes any sort of substance like alcohol or food, but it also includes um, busying behaviors. Mm. Um, A lot of, a a lot of wooded moms struggle with that. And around this time of the year, a lot of wooded moms start struggling with shopping Mm. and trying to overcompensate, right? Especially when they have children, right? So they start spending a lot of money Mm. and trying to fix feelings with purchases. Um, uh, Social media, of course, also seems to start to get really, you know, rampant in terms of buffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my approach or my idea is that, you know, all humans do this, right. So it's, it's not good, bad, right, wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of making sure that we do it consciously and in a way that serves the life experience that we want to create. Right. So I'm not anti-buffering, mm-hmm. I am pro conscious buffering. Yeah. Like let's decide how we're going to spend our time. And, and, and also um, there's a theory of grief that I like. So, you know, just like anything, weight loss or whatever, there's, you know, as many theories about weight loss as there are about grief. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and one of the theories that I like is called the dual process theory of grief. And what it teaches is that we want to kind of oscillate back and forth between doing the work of grief right? Thinking about your thoughts about the person, feeling the feelings, Mm -hmm. and then conscious distraction. Yeah. Meaning (laughs) we can't think about it all the time. We do need respite, Yes, but we want our respite to be conscious respite as Mm -hmm. opposed to unconscious. I can't handle it anymore. So I'm just going to go numb myself, you know, and try to get away from it all kind of respite.
0: Yeah. So what does that look like in a day to day?
1: Yeah, um, it can look like lots of different things. So if there's a particular activity that you kind of get lost in, in a good way, right? You kind of find yourself in the zone. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. writing or maybe that's painting or maybe that's crafting or um, music or Mm -hmm. something that you just are naturally attracted to. Gardening, Mm -hmm. those can be beautiful breaks, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But even just laughter and time with family and um, you know, watching a movie or just doing something that gets your brain off of the seriousness of life and loss mm. and into kind of a, a relaxed calm mode is, mm-hmm. is valuable. I am also um, a really big fan of tapping emotional mm. freedom technique. Yeah, And so I recommend that as well for people. It's, it's not exactly the hobby <laughs> that a lot of us associate with respite, but it does give our nervous system a break. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes some, you know, conscious action to give that gift to ourselves too. Yeah. The things that
0: you mentioned, though, uh, and and I can't remember exactly what the term was, but they don't have like a net negative impact on your health, like gardening and painting and family time and stuff like that. Like there's some things that we look for as a respite, like drinking or overeating that we tend to want to do. So like if somebody has started that pattern, you know, like maybe drinking or numbing out in front of the TV, like it's a dual thing, like TV and food or TV, food and alcohol, you know, how do you help them reintroduce more of those healthier things that don't cause that net negative on the other side. Right. So like in the morning when I think about the net negative, it's like, not only are you still left with your negative emotions that you, you know, didn't be with in that time. Now you have the net, the negative emotions of what you did right? So it's like, I call it the shit compactor experience.
1: Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's kind of two parts to that question. So the first part to me is, is really getting curious about what are we avoiding in the first place with that behavior, right? Because it's a feeling it's an emotion. So what is it? Because personally, I was never really taught much about feelings. Mm -hmm. When I came to coaching, I didn't have a particularly expansive awareness um, or vocabulary about what was happening in my body in terms of emotions. And so that's curiosity, right, is what helps us figure that out. So are we avoiding... Anxiety? Are we avoiding sadness? Are we avoiding loneliness? What is it that we're actually trying to avoid? And then once we figure it out, can we get curious about what it's actually like in our bodies? So when I'm coaching, actually ask clients. I teach a process called now and I ask clients to use that process a hundred times, right? Mm. To feel a hundred feelings, right? Mm -hmm. So the the now process that I use is name, open witness in OW. So name the emotion. So this is sadness, right? And that's actually the least important part of it. We don't, we don't even have to give it a name. I'm feeling something, Mm -hmm. right? It's like noticing that it's there, but if we can name it, that's great. And then opening up to it, which is just like saying yes to it because Most of us don't know how to say yes to a Mm -hmm. feeling, right? We know Mm -hmm. how to say no to it by grabbing a drink or, you know, grabbing Instagram, but we Mm -hmm. we don't actually know how to say yes to it. So just like we would say yes to a labor pain, Mm -hmm. because we know that's not going away Mm -hmm. unless we allow it, right? Say yes to whatever the feeling is, open up to it, physically open, right? Like bring your chest forward and breathe into it and then witness it. Where is it in your body? What is it like? you know what is the felt experience in your body of that sadness and if we do that enough times and i'm i'm sure you know you probably teach something pretty similar to mm-hmm. that we we get a whole different experience of it such that it's not it's not the boogeyman under the bed mm-hmm. that most of us think that a negative emotion is and then when we realize oh actually what i'm what i'm really trying to make go away is this you know hollow feeling in the pit of my stomach that's buzzing around and you know sinking Mm -hmm. and then we allow it to pass and it's not such a big deal yeah right so so that's one thing but then also how do we get to a new behavior i say schedule it Mm. right? Schedule that stuff. So what is it? And maybe you don't know what it is that brings you pleasure. And I, I certainly know that a lot of my clients struggle with this because, you know, they're kind of really trying to figure out who they even are without their person and it can get tricky, right? Mm -hmm. It can, it can, um, be hard to figure out what do you like in the absence of this person when this person may have been the majority of your life, right? And so it can be just a process of, okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to experiment. What does bring me joy? Because we learn by doing. So let's try some stuff Mm. and let's schedule it so that we will go and try it. So do I want to go try, you know, some sort of artistic endeavor? Do I want to schedule some sort of outdoors thing? Like, what do I actually want to schedule so that I can figure out what brings me pleasure that isn't covering up something negative? Yeah.
0: I love that. I mean, I teach the very, very similar, con- you know, concept. So we can't do anything unless we get aware. Right. So you have to be willing yeah. to, like, give yourself enough of a break there whenever you find yourself buffering with alcohol or food or Netflix or whatever it is to under- to ask yourself those questions. Right. So, like, name it, describe it, be conscious of it and then let mm-hmm. it process it. And then you can decide more after you've let that process what you can do from a more clear mind and more open mind because when you're in the process of it you're flooded with those emotions and we generally don't come up with ideas to do in those moments right Right. so like i say make a list of things that you want to do outside of those experience emotional times that you might notice and patterns and things throughout your day so that when you are in the throes of it you can remind yourself okay this is the time where i might have wanted to do this instead of drink instead of going to the cabinet
1: yeah. 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 And if you can schedule those things, because I know we're the worst, typically women, right? About putting ourselves first and yeah. making self-care a priority. Mm-hmm. And self-care doesn't just mean like bubble baths and massages, right? But like, things that fill our spirits, um, scheduling those things, or at least figuring out time to devote to experimenting if we don't know what they are.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. And then we have that, that conscious respite, intentional respite built
0: in. Mm-hmm. So what do you tell people? So like, you know, a lot of my clients are working on this, they, they joined the program, maybe because they had a death in the past, like, you know, five, 10 years ago, yeah. and they started drinking yeah. from that place, right? And they never really dealt with these emotions. So now that they're not drinking as much, they're left with the real truth of what's happening for them in their lives, right? And so sometimes it just, they tell me that they're just like, I just, I felt it all day. Like there just became a point where I just couldn't be with it anymore. And so like, sometimes they might go to bed or they, you know, end up drinking or something like that. So what advice do you have for people that are just like, I've done the thing I've processed, I've, I've named it. I've recognized it. I've gone through that and it's still there and it's terrible. (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay. So a couple of things come to mind. It's still there and it's terrible. So it, as much as it seems like a feeling lasts a long time, it really doesn't. It's really actually a cycle that just happens very quickly and we don't notice that it's happening. So thoughts cause feelings, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're really allowing a feeling to pass, it doesn't take all that long when we are in our body and noticing the feeling and not not attached to the thought. What happens that we don't notice is that we get hooked on the thought. And so we might be allowing the emotion for a little bit, but then we're really still hooked on and continuing to think that thought. Mm -hmm. And so we're just over and over and over thinking the thought, creating the feeling, allowing Mm -hmm. the feeling, thinking the thought, creating the feeling, allowing the feeling. And we aren't really changing the pattern. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at that point, right, if it's an ongoing thing, I think there's two things. One is, do we know the thought causing the feeling? Mm. Right. Because if we don't know the thought causing the feeling, how are we going to change our thinking? How are we going to unhook ourselves from that thought? Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not even a matter of not, you know, making sure that thought never comes up again. It's a matter of heightening our awareness to the point that when the, when we notice ourselves being hooked by that thought, We can spit the hook out Mm. of our mouths like a fish, right? Right. And we go, oh, this is the thought that makes me feel hopeless, Mm. right? And it's easy for me to get hooked on, but that's not the only thought available to me. So I can choose a new thought, Mm -hmm. right? And then we can can work on how how that happens. So we can use thought ladders and bridge thoughts and other ways of, you know, instilling positive thoughts that we would really like to believe that maybe aren't so readily available all the time so that's one thing and for me the other thing is tapping Mm. and i are you do you do are you i've done it
0: i've done it in like a group exercise but i don't i've done it not on a regular basis
1: i'm telling you i just love it so much Mm. there's something so you know when when you are kind of flooded or or hijacked to the point where, you know, your emotions are are high enough that it becomes difficult to think. Yeah. The thinking part of your yeah. brain just isn't so accessible. Yes, for sure, we can, you know, follow the now process or, you know, other other iterations or variations on that theme, but there is something so calming about tapping to your nervous system, right? It's just like an off switch to your body's stress response. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for, for me and for most of my clients, a few rounds of tapping mm-hmm you will literally feel the emotion leave your body and your shoulders drop. And you will then have access to the part of your brain that allows you to think about your thinking in the first place. Mm. And so to me, it's more and more my go-to right when I'm, and it's so easy to do. And you don't need, you don't need to pay anyone to have, you know, to learn it. It's just so easy um, to just, you know, this is sadness. And you just tap on all the points. Like, even though I'm sad, it's okay for me to love and accept myself anyway. Mm. Right. you set it up that way. And then you tap through the points. This is sadness, sadness in my heart, sadness in my stomach, wherever it is. Right. And you just acknowledge the truth, Mm. right. Which is that whatever the emotion is, is in your body. You're not trying to make it go away. You're just allowing it to be there studies show that cortisol levels drop just while you're tapping Mm -hmm. right your stress levels drop um
0: and I, I find love that it. To be I just love it a really it.
1: organic I, way.
0: Yeah, I mean it just gives your yourself a break from thinking too. Like that is a technique yes. that just like gets you out of your head and focus on your body. Sounds like.
1: Right. And it's it's so it's such an honest technique. Yeah. Right? It's not we're not trying to force anything. We're mm-hmm. not trying to change anything. It really just is about allowing the truth of what is for you in that moment mm-hmm. and and letting it flow through your body and letting, you know, letting it pass. Yeah it's lovely.
0: I love it. Thank you. So this is a kind of a weird question. So just bear with me as I ask it, but like, how do you define success for a, a woman that would go through your program as a widow? Like, how do you measure if they've improved or not? Right. So like if grief no, isn't it's supposed really to be good. like a process or like not everybody's supposed to follow this, this thing, like, what do you say to people? Like what is the outcome of somebody working with somebody like you on a regular basis or in your program that they can expect at the end?
1: Yeah. Okay. So there's a few things that come to mind. So a lot of my clients are struggling with purpose and vision, Mm. right? So have we kind of worked through that, right? It's really easy to believe that you don't know who you are when your person dies, right? When your identity or sense of self has been wrapped up in that role or your whole vision for your future has been, you know, included that person, can we figure out who you are and and what you want in the future, or at least what you value and use that as the compass. So that's part of it. it a huge part of it is the emotional component, right? Have we learned how to allow feelings to mm-hmm. pass without mm-hmm. resisting, reacting, avoiding, and have we learned how to create them on demand, mm-hmm. Right those are two huge things. Mm-hmm. And then, have, then, then there's the mind management piece, which is, do we understand the patterns that exist, right? The thought, feeling, action patterns that exist in, in the areas that matter to us, mm-hmm. right? And have we changed the ones that we want to change, but that doesn't mean we're, we're now only thinking and feeling positively, right? Right. Like I still choose to believe that I miss Hugo, yeah. I don't want to not believe that. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't make me feel amazing. Right. But it's how it feels appropriate to me and it's how I want to feel. I still don't want to be happy that he died. Right. Right. But what happens is that we go from like unconscious patterns, right? Patterns without intention, just being hooked on thoughts and hooked on patterns mm-hmm. to pivoting towards. Choosing patterns on purpose that line up with the values and vision that we have for our lives, right? And that won't always be thought swapping to the positive, right? Right. Sometimes that will still be keeping thoughts that make us feel negative emotions, but then we can, you know, keep those thought feeling patterns without acting from those emotions. Yes. Yeah. Right. Which goes back to the whole allowing feelings part right. of it. Can I say, okay, yes, I do want to feel sad about this. And I no longer have to act from sadness because I know how to let sadness be part of my experience and I don't need to cover it up. I don't need to avoid it. Right. I don't need to act from it. Um, And then another piece for me is just the self-confidence piece. Mm -hmm. Right. Is um, because you wouldn't think I have this conversation so many times. I have to tell you, um, you wouldn't think that self-confidence takes such a hit when you lose someone significant, most people don't associate self-confidence with grief, but Mm -hmm. it is a big deal, Mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of us don't realize, especially with a significant other, how much we were leveraging their belief in us, Mm -hmm. right? How much we were leveraging our belief in us as a partnership. And so we really have to go back and break down where does self-confidence come from? What is it? How do I create that for myself? Yeah. Right.
0: I, yeah, can imagine I remember huge. the first time
1: I, 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 was talking to Carlo and thought one time about it and she was like confidence, right? And she's a confidence coach mm-hmm. for feminist women. She's like, why do women struggle with confidence after the loss of a spouse? They're like the same person. Like, it's one of the biggest issues that most of us have.
0: I mean, I can imagine if I were to lose my husband now, he is my biggest cheerleader. Mm-hmm. That would be a hole for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, and then decision-making. It. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, it sounds to me like it's empowering, like as a woman who would work with you, right? Like to go from being powerless or, um, maybe not feeling like you're in control of your feelings and taking action from that place, but to understanding yourself more that your feelings aren't a problem, you get to direct them, you get to choose them. And it's more of an empowered type place to be. And you can choose where you go from there, from that place more than, from the beginning
1: 100 yeah 100 yeah. percent. and also recognizing and i think this is really important too recognizing that that happiness that you felt in the past right you created that yes it didn't happen to you mm-hmm. right that relationship that you were in you, you created that mm-hmm. it didn't just happen to you mm-hmm. right so all of these things that you thought caused your satisfaction in life before didn't right you created that for yourself. And when we can take 100% responsibility for what we have created in the past, Mm -hmm. because most of us just think that the good stuff just happened to us. Well, we're we're more than happy to blame ourselves for the quote-unquote bad stuff, right? right? But we just think the good stuff just floated down the river and somehow we got lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time. But if we can stop and go, no, actually, I created that, right? I was the one that had those thoughts about that person. I was the one that had those thoughts about that relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that took action to put myself in that position in the first place. Then we can start to, to realize that if we were powerful enough to do it then, we're powerful enough to do it now. Yes.
0: Yeah. Like that. I've been, so I'm actually, I kind of did the opposite of you. I have a therapist now, but I started with life coaching and so funny. we talk so much about feelings. It's great. It's my, mm-hmm. it's my jam, but it's like, I think about like the periodic table of elements and all of these mm-hmm. elements are different emotions. And we always like, they kind of like a lay a blanket on top of your head. This is how I, I think about it. And we always mm-hmm. have all of the feelings all of the time. They're always there. So, happiness for your clients is there. It's just not activated right now in this maybe moment or in this holiday season or at this event, right? But it's there within yeah. you. You're born with it, right? So, and the capacity yeah, for it. You yeah, have it. Like you didn't that. lose it, it didn't go away. It's mm-hmm. there. It's just dormant maybe for this time period yeah. until you learn. Like through your tools it sounds like how to get back to that place of and of course it's not always happy we know that it's not about being happy but like what you're saying it's about being in control and being empowered and activating the feelings that you want to have and choosing the negative ones on purpose when they come in as well yeah
1: yeah like being the conscious creator yes of this life experience yes and that doesn't mean fluff and good stuff all the time no
0: no not at all so any other final advice for people who have experienced loss or in grief or, you know, even if they've lost somebody 10 years ago and they're in the holidays right now, like any final advice or tips to give them?
1: Yeah, I would just say ignore pretty much everything pop culture has ever taught you about grief, right? Like <laughs> even the five stages of grief, you know, people latch onto that one and, um, you know elizabeth kubler ross and david kessler who who created it right they were originally studying hospice patients mm-hmm. it was really about the process of dying oh. not the process of grieving a loss mm-hmm. they never intended for it to be interpreted in such a literal way right it, people think well I, first i have to be in denial and then i must be angry and you know i have to bargain and it no right um that can be a part of your experience but it doesn't have to be so whatever it is you're feeling it is not a problem and it is part of grief and that includes all the negative emotions and all the positive ones too yeah. right there's no timelines it doesn't go away there's no pot of gold at the end of a rainbow where right. we are through our grief right mm-hmm. it's just we whatever life experience is we just fold it into the fabric of who we are and take it with us um, but it's not something we need to get over move past mm. it's just part of being human on the planet you can't do it wrong yeah I love that. Thank you. How can people find you? You're so welcome. So I also have a podcast. It's called the widowed mom podcast. And, um, people are welcome to listen to it, even if they are not widowed moms, if they mm-hmm. are interested in grief or post-traumatic growth, they might like it. And then also coaching with Krista.com is my website. And then all the social connections are there.
0: And you have a small, it's a small group coaching program for women.
1: Yeah. It's just for widowed moms, small group coaching, just for widowed moms. Um, But I try to make the podcast a little bit more broad to help Mm -hmm. more people.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you for your work. That was extremely helpful for so many and my listeners and my clients will love it and love you. So go follow Krista and all the things and we'll link up her websites and socials in the show notes as well. But thank you again so much. I really appreciate you.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure.
0: Oh we love Krista Thank you again Krista for coming on the podcast and if you want to learn more about her about her click through the show notes go subscribe to her podcast go check her out on the socials. She's amazing in helping so many women feel empowered with the grief that they've had after losing their loved ones so and I just wanted to add if you are feeling grief during the holidays it's okay. And you don't have to go do all the things, and you can show up exactly the way you are and say no and change your mind at the last minute, and it's all okay, and you're okay. And this is part of your process, and it doesn't have to look like you think it should or what anybody else thinks it should. You get to be with it and however you need to be with it. So I love you all, and I will talk to you
1: next week.